0: Now to Ephesians chapter 3. We are finally in the third chapter of Ephesians, and as we went through the first two chapters, we saw that uh, those two chapters were really just chock full of great doctrinal truths, and all of those things that we read about in the scriptures, there, they are virtually incomprehensible and, uh, and, and just simply not understandable to the normal human mind. I mean, you have to have the wisdom of God and the Spirit of God to understand those things, and As you read the Bible, most people, when they read Scripture like this, they have really no idea what Paul may be talking about as he wrote these things. Uh, They don't understand why these things are so important. And surely not why Paul would subject himself to the things that he went through just to bring these truths to us. But this is what Paul has done. And Paul was willing to give his life for the sake of Christ. Now these truths, as uh, we understand them, are uh, Holy Spirit revealed to us. And we have to very carefully consider the Word of God as we study this. We are to ponder these things very slowly, and that's because the Bible is a book that's intended to be studied. And we ought not to be content to spend our lives in one or two verses of Scripture and let that be done, or be all of it. And many people do that, and unfortunately many churches do that. They don't really consider the whole counsel of the Word of God. But Paul has written these things in order to enlighten us and to help show us what we need to do in our Christian lives, to help us to better understand God's grace and also what God expects of us. But even more than that, I think that Paul is writing these things to show us that really that God is all in all, that God's in control of everything. He he controls every aspect, every detail of our lives. He knows exactly what's going on with us all the time. So we never have to fear that God doesn't know what's happening with us. He always does. Back in chapter 1, we spent quite a bit of time discussing verses 17 through 23. And I pointed out then that verse number 18 is really the key to that section of the scriptures. And really, it's somewhat of a key to all of the book of Ephesians. Because it says there, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And that phrase is very important, to be enlightened in our understanding concerning the things of God. As we come here to the third chapter, this is actually the last doctrinal chapter of the book. After chapter three, things become practical in nature, and they are an application of the things that we learn in the first three chapters. But for now, we still have to deal with the doctrinal truths, and I'm happy to be able to discuss doctrine with you tonight. Now, in the end of this last chapter, I preached uh, three messages concerning God's beautiful building. And that told us about the development of the church. And, And Paul talks about that, and he shows us a progression from being in God's kingdom to being in God's family. And then finally, the highest expression of our work for the Lord in this world, and that's being in God's church. And it's a blessed privilege to be a part of God's church. And those who are the faithful members of the Lord's church, I believe that they receive the highest positions in heaven. They will be the inhabitants of the new Jerusalem. But as we come to chapter 3, Paul continues to uh, talk about church doctrine, and he refers to the church as a mystery. And I'll talk about the mystery in just a moment, but let's stand right now, if you would, please, and... We'll look in uh, chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. We're going to consider verses 1 through 5 tonight. Uh, we're not gonna, uh, I'm going to come back to some things here, but let's look at verse number 1. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given me to youward, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, Whereby, when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for this great study in the book of Ephesians. And Lord, we pray that you would do, as Paul asked in his prayer, that the eyes of our understanding might be opened, that we might be enlightened towards the truth that we read in these pages. Thank you, Lord, for all that you do for us, and we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As most of you know, when the Bible was written, originally there weren't any chapter divisions. In the 13th century, uh, the Bible was divided up into chapters. Then in the 16th century, they began to divide those chapters up into verses. And uh, there were a lot of people who actually worked on that, different people who, who did things as far as dividing the Bible up in, uh, into verses. And they divided in a lot of different ways. But what's survived to us today uh, was actually done by a man by the name of Stephanus. And his work was first done in the Geneva Bible, which was a, a Bible that was just a, a precursor, you might say, to the King James Bible. But beyond the, uh, the verse divisions and the chapter divisions... Some of you may have a Bible tonight in which you see subject divisions. And as you go through the pages of the Bible in each chapter, you'll find that the different subject matter is noted in in different parts of the chapter. And so you might have a Bible tonight that says, uh, as a subject division here, the mystery revealed, or the mystery of the church, or something along that order. And that is the subject of this chapter. It's the mystery of the church and the revelation of that mystery. Now... And we need to understand that the Bible, what the Bible means by a mystery. Because when the Scriptures speak of a mystery, this is not talking about something like a, a mystery novel or finding out a mystery like reading Agatha Christie or one of the other mystery novel writers. That's not what a mystery in the Bible is. A mystery uh, in the Bible, when, in, when we see that word, what it is is something that's God's secret. And then God decides that he's going to reveal that to someone at a particular time. And so the mystery of the church is not something that we can go into the Old Testament and suddenly we're able to decode certain passages of Scripture and now we completely understand the mystery of the church. That's not the way it is. And the Apostle Paul is talking here that he is one to whom the mystery has been revealed. God saw fit to give Paul an understanding or a revelation of the mystery of the church. And this mystery that Paul is given is directly related... ...to what he writes in verse number 1. Paul says there, for this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Now this evening, that's what I want to talk about. I want to speak about Paul the prisoner. And the revelation of this mystery is one of the reasons, really, why Paul was a prisoner. So we're going to break that down just a little bit. And we're going to try to answer the question, suffering for what? Paul was a prisoner and... He suffered for some things, but why was he a prisoner and why did he suffer? Well, Paul begins chapter 3 with these words, For this cause. And obviously, that's a prepositional phrase, so it refers to something that was written before. And that phrase links it to what's in the second chapter. Now, when I talked about chapter divisions a moment ago, sometimes the chapter divisions can cut across thoughts. And so this would naturally be tied to what has been said before it. And the subject that's under discussion is... The church. And so now Paul's going to tell us a little bit about the church and why the revelation of that particular mystery is one that's landed him in jail. Now I want you to notice first, probably what's most obvious to us. When we say suffering for what, why is Paul suffering and why is Paul a prisoner? Then, first of all, the easiest thing we see here is for the cause of Christ. He's suffering for the cause of Christ, for this cause is the cause of Christ. And of course, Christ is a very radical departure from both the religion of Jews and of Gentiles. And I think that we could probably uh, very readily understand why that it's different from the Gentiles' religion. And that's because the Gentiles had largely been left out of the covenants of God. You can read all the way through the Old Testament and read all the way up from Abraham to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you won't find any place in the Bible where God made a particular, uh, a, a particular covenant with the Gentile people. God didn't do that. In fact, Paul describes the condition of the, of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1, and he says that they were relegated to worshiping birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And so certainly a revelation of Jesus Christ is much different than religion where there is the worship of idols. The zenith of the Gentile idolatry is probably explained to us best in Acts chapter 17... ...when Luke writes about Paul's visit to the city of Athens. Because the Bible says there that the whole city, this Gentile city, was given to idolatry. Everything in that city, all these idols, everything was a God and God was everything. Back when we were studying that, as we went through the book of Acts... ...I I told you about a visit that we made a few years ago to the city of Pompeii in Italy... Uh, Pompeii was destroyed by Mount Vesuvius in 79 AD. And the city, underneath all of that lava and everything, was was pretty much very well preserved. And so the archaeologists have excavated that city. And as we were visiting there, we're walking through the streets and we round the corner. And a long street was lined with the ruins of temples. And there must have been thousands of idols that had been set up there for those people to worship. And so it's not hard for us to understand why the revelation of Jesus Christ was so radically different from what the Gentiles believed. But when we think about the Jews, why is it true of the Jews? Because Christ was promised to the Jews way back in the Old Testament. There are plenty of predictions about the coming of Christ. The place and the manner of Christ's birth was predicted. You can find that in the Old Testament. How that Christ would live, what kind of a person he would be, what kind of life he would live. Even the death of Jesus is recorded in the Messianic Psalms and some other passages in the Old Testament. So why is Christ such a radical departure from what the Jews were expecting the Messiah to be? Well, the problem is this. The Jews had terribly perverted the promises and the covenants of God. Now, God had given them Scripture. God gave them the covenants, and all of those things were given to them for their assurance... It was given to them to show them that a Savior was coming and to help identify Him when He did come. But what the Jews had done was to terribly pervert all of those promises and all those covenants of God. And so what they had done, they'd taken the true worship of Jehovah God and they turned it into a system of self-righteousness. Even after the church began, when... The truth of the gospel was being preached around the world, at least the known world at that time. The Jews were still fighting against that and trying to bring in a system of works religion. And so there were people, uh, the Jews, who tried to infiltrate the church and tried to convince people that they needed to go back to this old system that they were under. Now Paul talks about that in the book of Galatians. Jude also had something to say about it. And Jude said this, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So here is the problem for Paul. Paul has been called to minister to the Gentiles. And the Jews are still insistent upon the works of the law. And so when Paul uh, tells everyone, when he talks about the Gentiles being brought into the covenant of grace, then that's the reason why the Jews wanted to seize him and to kill him. And they would have done that. They wanted to have him bound and killed, and they pursued that in any way possible to try to make that happen. So Paul was in prison, suffering for the cause of Christ. It might be helpful for us to go back and think a little bit about Uh, the circumstances surrounding that, how Paul was in prison. And it's obvious from reading the book of Ephesians and what he has to say here that this is a prison letter. Paul's writing from the prison. And the story goes, all of you should know it that we're here on Wednesday nights for the study of Acts, that in Acts chapter uh, 21, Paul was in Jerusalem and he was there for uh, a rite of purification. He went to the temple. And while he was there, he was seized by a number of Jews and they claimed that he had taken a Gentile into the temple. Now, as it happens, that the very men who claimed that were Jews that came from the city of Ephesus. They knew that Paul had been teaching Gentiles, and they saw Paul in the company of a Gentile while he was in Jerusalem just prior to going into the temple. And so they naturally assumed, or they wanted to assume, that Paul had taken that Gentile into the temple with him, and that was strictly forbidden. And so they made that accusation against him. They said he took a Gentile into the temple. Well, immediately that incensed all of the Jews in Jerusalem, and they tried to catch Paul, and they tried to kill him. And they would have killed him if possible, but God had providentially prepared, I think, a Roman garrison that was stationed right next to the temple grounds. And so when they came to take Paul, and they seized him or were going to kill him, those guards intervened, and Paul's life was saved. Well, as you know, from that point on, Paul went through a series of trials. And when no justice could be served, when he couldn't get justice in any of those trials, then he did what was his right to do, and that was to make an appeal to Caesar. A Roman citizen had the right to appeal to Caesar. And so that's what he did. And so they were bound to send him to Rome in order to be tried. So as he writes this, he is in Rome, and he is a prisoner. But we notice that Paul does not say that he is a prisoner of Caesar. And Paul does not say that he's a prisoner of Rome. He doesn't say he's even a prisoner of Jews or of the Gentiles. But what does he write? He says, I am a prisoner for the cause of Jesus Christ. So that's one reason why Paul is suffering and why he's in prison. For the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice, secondly, why he's a prisoner and why he's suffering. What is he suffering for? Secondly, he's suffering for the commission of Christ. He suffered for the cause of Christ and also for the commission that was given by Christ. And if Paul were to lay all of this out before us and to explain to us exactly why that he's gone through all these things, if he was going to describe all the troubles in his life, or at least as the world sees it, there are troubles... If he was going to explain all of that, he would point right back to this one thing. And that was the commission that was given to him by Christ. We know the story. Paul was traveling on the road to Damascus. He was on his way there to capture Christians and to bring them back and throw them to jail, perhaps to kill them. And as Paul was traveling, he was struck down by this brilliant light that shone around him. And in that light was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus spoke to him. And he gave him a new direction for his life. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was told what he must do. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. Later, when Paul was preaching to the Jews, he said in Acts 13, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing that ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light to the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. So right there is Paul's commission. He's to be a light to the Gentiles. And that commission didn't sit very well with the Jews. And the Jews didn't want Gentiles to enter into their little religious world. And so Paul says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. And he writes here and tells us that the commission that God gave him, that's what's landed him in jail. And you know, it's very important for Paul to stress that. He had to explain this on many different occasions. The commission is the cause. That's the cause why he's in jail. He's not in jail because he did any wrong. He's not there because he broke civil laws. He's not there because he's an insurrectionist. Paul is not in prison because of any criminal activity. And many times Paul had to make that statement because his enemies used the fact that he was in jail against him. And they would say, What are you doing listening to Paul? Look at his life. He's been thrown into jail. No telling what he's done. Look at all the criminal activities he must have committed. And so Paul has to say, That's not why I'm here. I'm here because of Christ. And he had to vindicate himself, he had to give the reason why he's in jail. What is it? It is his commission. He's doing exactly what God has told him to do. I love a story that Warren Wiersbe tells in his New Testament commentary on this particular scripture. And he talks about a time that he was called to be a witness in a child custody case. He was called up on the witness stand and the attorney spoke to him and said, Now, Mr. Wiersbe, do you think that a person who's been in prison is fit to raise a child? And that was supposed to be a yes or a no question. But Warren Weersby answered it this way. He says, well, I guess it depends on the man. Some very famous people have been in jail, and they've made the world a com- different place, a better place because of their experience. He said, John Bunyan, that's an example. You know what else he said? And the great apostle Paul. And he was ready to give some other examples from the Bible, but he could detect that that's not the answer that the court wanted to hear. Paul was a great man, and he spent time in prison. And his ministry there ended in the jail. He, he most likely died in the jail, and it's because of his commission from Christ. So he was told to do this. Now, he had to preach the word, and the target audience is the Gentiles. And when he targeted that audience, that's when the Jews got upset. Now, I want to remind all of us here this evening that, that Christ has also given us a commission. Paul received his commission directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. There was a voice that came from heaven and spoke to him directly and told him what he must do. But you know, for us, we have this right here, and we have also been given a commission. And whenever you read the words of the Bible, it's exactly the same as if God spoke directly to you. There's no difference there. God speaks to us through his word today, and God has given us a commission, and that those words that are spoken to us are no less real and no less applicable to us than they were to the Apostle Paul. Remember, Jesus said, "'Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel.'" And so that means you and that means me. And it's just like we had a voice that came from heaven. It's just as real. Now, I suspect for most of us, we've not really been in much trouble, not like Paul was for telling people about Jesus. Occasionally, I'll hear somebody say, you know, you'll hear a story about somebody at work or somebody in their school that they tried to give a testimony about Jesus they weren't permitted to. They may have gotten in trouble. But that's the exception, not not the rule. And so none of us have ever, I don't think, been in very much trouble for carrying out the commission of Christ. Part of that has to do with the fact of the country that we live in. We live in a free country, and largely we can uh, speak the words of Christ freely. But most of the reason, I think, why we haven't been in trouble is because we've just simply failed to carry out the commission. We just don't do it. You can't get in trouble for something that you don't do. Well, in any case, Paul wore this prison experience like a badge of honor. He wasn't afraid to suffer for the cause of Christ. And if you follow Paul's life, you would almost think that he invited this. And what have we learned about in the book of Acts that Paul was stoned in places... And yet, what did he do? He went right back and preached in the same places again. He kept preaching the very same gospel. And it's almost like Paul was inviting persecution. But you know the real reason for all of that? It's the commission. The commission that he's given. And the commission was his life. And the commission was even more important than his life. So Paul suffered for the cause of Christ and for the commission of Christ. Then we also find, number three here, that he suffered for the conflict of Christ. If we go back to the words of Jesus in the book of Matthew, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's foes shall they be they of his own household. Before you can ever have unity in the faith, you have to have division from the world. Now, there's no person who comes into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ professing his faith, being baptized in the church. No person who does that who hasn't already made a decision that they are going to forsake the world. I mean, that's one of the things that you say when you trust Christ. And sometimes forsaking the world may mean even your own family. You have to go against your own family. Now, for the Jews that Paul preached to, they had to go against mother and father, who who for years had been teaching them these things that they wanted them to believe they were the wrong things, but they'd been taught that for years. They were meticulous keepers of the law, and they were taught that's how you're going to be saved. And so they had to forsake that. For Gentile Christians, it means forsaking the idols that they've been brought up to believe in. And now to believe that God is a personal God. You see, a person who worships idols doesn't believe in a personal God. But in order to have a relationship with the true God, there also has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so they had to forsake their old ways, but even beyond that, if we if we leave all of that out, we think about the conflict, the natural conflict that exists between Jews and Gentiles. And Paul expressed that in the preceding chapter, back up there in verse number eleven, Ephesians two, he says, "Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh." who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision of flesh made by hand, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us." So why is Paul in prison and why is he suffering? Because he wrote things like that. It's because he was persisting in teaching that the Gentiles had become fellow heirs with the Jews. Now let's think for just a moment. What if Paul had never said anything like this? What if he never mentioned this? What would the Jews do about Paul's preaching if he never said anything at all about Gentiles? Well, most likely, Paul would have been able to preach anywhere he wanted to preach. There wouldn't have been any conflict But we remember the argument that he makes in in, uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And his argument is not that the Gentiles are unworthy and they need to be brought into the covenant. His argument is that all are unworthy. And that every person, even the Jew, has to give up what he thinks is his supposed status with God and admit that he also is a child of wrath even as a Gentile is. And so in relation to the law, the Jew stands in no better position than a Gentile. When it comes to personal faith, he's no different than a Gentile in his personal relationship with Christ. Then also in Romans, Paul wrote these words, "...all have sinned and come short of the glory of God." And you know when he said that, what he was talking about just previous to it? He was making almost the same argument that he makes in Ephesians, that the Jews have no status just by virtue of the fact that they are Jews. They're not children of God just because they're called Jews. So what would happen if Paul had just ditched all of these arguments? And what would have happened if Paul had said in the book of Romans, for the Gentiles have sinned and come short of the glory of God? Well, the Jews would accept that. That wouldn't have been any problem. He could have preached anywhere that he wanted to preach. But when he introduced this idea that all have sinned, Jews and Gentiles alike have sinned, All must come to Christ in faith. That's when his preaching became intolerable. So now he has introduced conflict into the mix. And that helps us better understand verse 1 of this text. He said, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. So it was because he maintained this for the Gentiles that he was put in prison. You see, to preach Christ for Jews makes no conflict at all. That's not a problem at all. But to preach Christ for Jews and Gentiles alike in the very same relationship, that makes conflict. It makes great conflict. You know, down through the history of Christianity, there have been a lot of people who have been conflicted over teaching the gospel, preaching the gospel to certain groups of people or certain races of people. Right here in the United States, uh, in the past hundred years or so, uh, There were many people upset because they thought the gospel is only for white Anglo-Saxons. And that's all that they want to preach to. Recently, I heard a preacher on the radio. I was driving uh, to church on Sunday morning, I believe it was. and, And he said, one of the things I really like about being a minister in California is the cultural diversity. He said, I really like that. But you know, if you told me that 20 years ago where I'm from... and you. What do you like about the ministry? Cultural diversity would not have been number one on my list. I mean, that would have been the most frightening thing to me, that where I come from. But when I came here and began to minister in this church, cultural diversity is something that I really like. I mean, I admit that I like, uh, I like people from different cultures, and people are welcome in the Berean Baptist Church, no matter what culture that you come from. So whites and blacks and Haitians and Filipinos and Indians, American and foreign Indians, are all welcome in the Berean Baptist Church. You are a foreign Indian, right? Russians and Japanese, Koreans, Pakistanis, Iranians, Ukrainians, Estonians, Germans, the French, well, the jury's still out on the French, so let's back up on that one. But everybody's welcome to come to Briam Baptist Church. You see, the wonderful thing about our faith in the Lord is it's common to all people all around the world. In Romans chapter 10, Paul said, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you know when Paul used the word Greek there, he didn't just mean Greek people. What he meant was anybody who's not a Jew. And so Jews and Gentiles, no matter what nationality that you're from, it doesn't make any difference. Everybody can be saved by trusting in Jesus. And so when Paul preached that message, that produced conflict. So Paul was in prison suffering for the conflict of Christ. Now, do you recognize this, that preaching would be a whole lot more popular and we'd have a lot less conflict if we didn't preach certain things? If we left out certain things, there wouldn't be any conflict. Now, on one hand, you have some preachers who preach just for the conflict. I mean, that's what they're all about. They call themselves the rock rib fundamentalist, and uh, their idea is I'm going to make myself miserable and everybody else miserable too, and I'm not going to be happy unless they are. And so they're preaching for the conflict. That's what stirs up their blood. But what I'm talking about here is preaching the Word of God without malice and letting the chips fall where they may. And so there's a lot of things that that we could leave out of our preaching and everything would be just fine. There'd never be a conflict for us to worry about. If I left hell out of my preaching, you folks probably wouldn't like it, but there are many people who would choose Berean Baptist Church because we don't preach about hell. We'd attract a bigger crowd if we did that. If I stopped preaching about commitment in my messages... We'd probably have more people because then we could have a nice big social club right here on the corner of, of this uh, street in Roanoke Park. Don't preach commitment. You bring a lot of people in. If I left baptism out, oh, we could attract a lot of people who don't think baptism is important. And you know, folks, there's actually some people that I have driven away from Briam Baptist Church because I preach and I believe that we must insist upon scriptural baptism. To get into the church, you have to have New Testament baptism. I mean, you've got to be baptized in a New Testament Baptist church. But some people don't think that's important. And so they wouldn't come here because we preach that. But if we left that out, there wouldn't be any conflict. The conflict comes when you preach the Word of God. And I could go on and on. I could talk about a lot of subjects. I could leave out preaching on the sovereignty of God. And I can tell you, could tell you that, that being a Christian is all in your hands. You have the power to save yourself that God's done something for you and he's done all that he can do and now it's up to you to take the next step. And I could preach that and we'd bring a lot of people back to Briam Baptist Church. But my preaching causes conflict because people prefer the kiss method of preaching. You know, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> preach the simple things. Give people the milk of the word. They'll be happy with that because doctrine's too confounding for them. They're not going to be converted to the complexities of doctrine. Well, thank the Lord for this. We don't get put in prison today for teaching from the Word of God. Our preaching produces conflict, but we don't get put in jail for the conflict. We get criticized. People don't want to come here. But we don't preach these things simply because we love to cause trouble. We just preach it because it comes straight from the Bible. And we try to do that without doctoring it up with a lot of man-made stuff and man-centered theology. But we need to finish now. Fourthly, why was Paul in prison? Why did he suffer? Number four is for the certainty of Christ. He suffered for the cause, for the commission, for the conflict, and lastly, for the certainty of Christ. Now, let's think about that for just a minute. How does that figure into Paul's testimony? Well, we know that he's not in jail for criminal activity. We've already established that. We know that he's not in jail because people just love to be in jail. That doesn't make sense. So he's not there for that. We know that he's not there because he couldn't avoid it. Because he could have avoided it. All they need to do is stop preaching all the things I talked about under point number three. And everybody would be happy. But Paul is in jail because he is absolutely certain that what he's preaching is the truth. The truth has to be told. And he has no doubt about the truth. So how does that figure into his testimony? Well, the people have to be thinking as they look at Paul, they've got to be thinking, he must really believe this stuff. He must be certain of this because he wouldn't go to jail for it if he didn't. So he has to be certain about what he believes. And so the jail becomes actually the greatest testament to his faith. He is in jail because his faith is unwavering. And do you know that is one of the greatest proofs of Christianity? I mean, the men and women who believe this spread it around the world in the first century. And do you think that they would have gone to their deaths, many of them believing something that was a lie, or, or telling people that Jesus arose from the dead? If they hadn't seen that with their own eyes, they were certain of it. Women wouldn't watch their children taken from their breasts and having their, their heads bashed against stones if they weren't certain about it. Christians wouldn't have been stoned and beaten to death if they weren't certain about it. Christians wouldn't have been put in bags with poisonous snakes if they weren't certain about it. Christians wouldn't have had their hands and their their feet tied together and thrown in the river if they weren't certain about it. And they wouldn't have had their eyes gouged out and their fingernails pulled out and their limbs torn from their bodies if they weren't certain about this. John Bunyan wouldn't have spent 13 years in the Bedford jail if he wasn't certain about what he believed. John Fox would have never been able to write a book of martyrs If there weren't martyrs who believed something and were killed for it. They were certain of it. And Paul was certain of it. Why? Because he got it directly from Jesus himself. He was certain of what he believed. Christ revealed it to him. And so Paul considered it his greatest honor to be right here in the prison. Because he's certain that he was there for the cause of Christ. Now let me ask you something tonight. What are you certain about? I mean, are you so sure of your faith that nothing can shake your faith? Are you so sure, are you so certain of your faith that you will give up personal pleasures because of your faith? Are you that certain? You know, there are a lot of folks who, members of Berean Baptist Church, will say, Pastor, I am certain of my faith. I am sure of my faith. I love the preaching of God's Word. I will stand up for Jesus. But where are they tonight? Where are the other members? Go to church three times a week? That's a little bit too much commitment, isn't it? That's kind of going overboard. You mean you expect me to go to church for three services? Three hours a week? That's a little much. No, it's not. Because that's what you do when you're certain of what you believe. When when you've got that faith, what it does is it causes you to put yourself on the back burner and suffer for the cause of Christ. You know, I was thinking about this morning, as I was writing a completely different message, but somehow this came to my mind. I preached a message on Sunday morning about being filled with the Spirit. Do you remember that? And talked about hungering and thirsting for the Spirit. And I could look out over the congregation as I'm preaching, and I can see people nodding their heads and saying, hey, Preach it, preacher, go on, man, man, you're preaching the truth there. The Holy Spirit, we've got to be filled with the Spirit. Come Sunday night. I guess they got full on Sunday morning, so they didn't need any more. doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The hunger and thirst for the Spirit and to be filled with the Spirit means that you'll suffer for the cause of Christ. You're willing to give up something. So Paul is certain about this. It's God's calling for his life, and he's so certain for this because it's the priority of the gospel. He has to get it out. And so he wrote this while he was in prison, and all of you know these words as well from First, uh, uh, Second Timothy rather. Chapter 1, verse 12. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Now, let me ask each of you tonight. You know, and I commend everybody for being in services tonight. Thank the Lord for that. Thank you for your dedication. But here's the question. Are you certain? Are you so real that you can do like the Apostle, or so certain that you, you, can, you can do what the Apostle Paul did? Is this faith so real to you that whatever it takes, that's what you're willing to do? That's the kind of certainty he had. Folks, we could do a lot for God in Ronan Park if we had a little bit of the commitment of Paul. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, suffering for what? For the cause of Christ. For the commission of Christ, for the conflict of Christ, for the certainty of Christ. That's why he's in prison and that's why he suffers. So we just pray that every one of us would have just a little bit of the Apostle Paul in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to preach your word tonight. Lord, we, we do just pray that you would draw us close to you. That we would be people who are willing to give up self and sacrifice self for the cause of Christ. We thank you for the Apostle Paul who gives us such a great example. And he did these things because there was the faith that he had. There was the certainty of his faith. But also there was a reward that was waiting. And Lord, he looked forward to that reward. And may we also look forward to the reward for serving you because that's a promise. We ask you to be with your people tonight. Speak to hearts and Lord, help someone to come closer to you in this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we